Imagine if your energy provider asked you to use less electricity. In fact, to shut down, switch off, unplug. And if you did, for just an hour, they'd pay you. Would you think, what's the catch? I know I would. Well, the first thing was that you get paid to save energy. So it's kind of win-win. And the more I looked into it, I thought it was too good to be true, but it's true. This is Jo Quirk. She's an Origin customer using Spike. Spike is a reward program that encourages customers to help reduce the load on the energy grid by switching off their appliances, lights and anything else that chews through the juice. And the more I looked into it, it's also got some parts to it where you get high rewards if you meet certain targets. So it makes you look at the results. Have the results come in yet? We'd always keep saying to each other, we got the results yet. So it takes like about a day to get the results in. And yeah, it just felt like this competition we're having with ourselves to win. And what does Joe win? Stick around to find out. Hi, it's Andy Saunders here again, and this is So What, a podcast from Origin that questions everything you thought you knew about energy and explores the solutions that exist today. And in this episode, an episode I'm very excited about, we blow your mind with the concept of energy companies paying you to not use their power. You'll hear from Jo again after she finishes uh, counting her money. But right now, I'm going to introduce you to episode three and the concept of gamification. So gamification is the application of game design elements to non-game contexts. Uh, Gamification has its roots in video games. The idea is that video games can be really engaging. This is Zach Fitzwalter. He's a gamification designer and educator. In his time as an educator and consultant, he's seen games evolve away from the screen and out into the real world. And I'm not talking about games like Red Rover Crossover or Leapfrog. There's this idea that uh, if games can be so engaging, if games like World of Warcraft and if games like Pokemon Go can be so engaging, then how can we take these engaging elements and apply it to non-game activities to make them more engaging as well? So one of my favorite examples is Zombies Run. Uh, It's an application which essentially adds a zombie apocalypse narrative to your running experience. About 70% of Australians are considered to be gamers, whether they know it or not. Whether you crush plenty of candy on your phone, race luxury cars from your couch, or are motivated to run faster because of a zombie apocalypse like Zach is, then you're a gamer. The way it works is you go out, you run, you put your headphones in, and you listen to a narrative unfold uh, about a zombie apocalypse. But then sometimes during your run, uh, you might hear zombies start to breathe down the back of your neck. And at that point, you then have to speed up, run faster, otherwise the zombies get you and all the things you've collected in the game. So that one's a really exciting and quite a different example of gamification being used effectively. And that application alone has had over 4 million downloads. There's been 29 million kilometres run and 3.7 million zombie chases out there. If it takes a zombie horde to motivate some to change behaviour... Yeah, so gamification design falls under the umbrella of behaviour design, um, where designers are looking at ways in which to help promote behaviour change, whether it's to exercise more, to learn a new language or to save energy. Or avoid a zombie plague. Games work best when people are motivated to engage with the task after being prompted. Yeah, well, they usually give you at least a 
24 hours notice that it's going to happen. So um, I know a lot of families will come home and do the washing and make dinner and things like that. We wash clothes at all various times. So if we know a spike hour is coming, we just don't do the laundry that night. We'll do it the night before or the night after or even the hour before or the hour after. If the spike hour is going to be on a weeknight, and it's usually between like five and nine, they will average out your previous 10 weeknights electricity usage for that hour. So if it was the six o'clock hour or the nine o'clock hour, they call it the forecast. And you can always see what the forecast is and what nights are based it on. But the target that they set for you is this forecast is the average of your previous 10, seven to 8 PMs on a weekday. So it's an average. So it's actually really easy to beat your average. And if you beat your forecast, you get points. And so if you beat it by a lot, you get more points. So simply by providing that feedback of of giving us an hour when we need to turn off our appliances or to save some energy gives us this kind of goal or this challenge. And then to really reinforce that behavior by providing some kind of reward, it can motivate us to, to change our behavior, especially when there's no motivation to begin with. Having some kind of reward or incentive is a great way to encourage people to, to change their behavior. And Joe's reward after switching off? Points, which can be converted to cash or even gift cards. We're currently sitting on 44,366 points. So it's $443.66. Jo's quarterly energy bill is pretty high. It's usually around $500. She doesn't own a home, so can't offset that by installing solar or a battery. So anything that eases a strain helps in a huge way. There are other benefits other than points. Um, the points... You can cash them out and uh, go straight to your PayPal account or you can swap them for gift vouchers for like JB Bunnings or Woolies or Kmart or whatever. There's a few different stores. But every now and again, they'll have a thing called a mega spike hour where aside from all the other bonuses that you might get based on your status or your streak, they double your points as well. So sometimes we might get $40 an hour, (laughs) which is insane. But that would usually only happen if it's middle of summer and there's a heat wave Probably they happen a few times a year and they're like, please, please save energy at this time. Heat waves, extreme weather events and natural disasters like fires can trigger blackouts and outages that can roll on for weeks. But these events aren't exclusive to Australia, nor is the concept of incentivising customers to power down. It arrived here after Origin noticed what Ohm Connect in the US were doing. It was super hot in New York and I was at a friend's apartment He had the windows open and his AC just going off full blast. This is Matt Dusterberg. Co-founder of OhmConnect. I started this about seven years ago, really with the intention of democratizing the electricity sector for everyone to participate in. Matt was an energy trader in New York. That meant he knew the wholesale cost that utility companies paid for energy before selling it onto the customer. So at his friend's apartment during the summer, he had a brainwave, probably during a heatwave. And I was like, hey, you know, you're trying to cool the entire city of New York. That's not going to work very well. So when we started OhmConnect, the idea was, how can my friend and every other New York resident actually see those wholesale energy market prices and then actually benefit from it. Matt saw a gap. 
So with a colleague who later became his co-founder, they made this idea a reality while at a hackathon focused on accelerating the transition to a 100% clean energy economy. Ah, I remember the hackathon days. They were good. To be clear, (laughs) I have no idea what a hackathon is. And so we made an app to really get consumers to change their behavior to create energy reductions. A lot of people in the energy sector really scratched their heads and they were like, no one is looking at their energy usage at any time. But at the end of the day, same thing was happening across other sectors in Silicon Valley. We were seeing Uber democratizing taxi service across the world, Airbnb democratizing hotels or lodging across the world. Why couldn't we do the exact same with energy? And again, gaming proved key to unlocking the future success that Ohm Connect would find. Yeah, game mechanics is such a large and broad scope of different interactions that can happen. My co-founder, Kadir Lee, actually worked in the gaming sector and brought some of the cutting-edge technologies into Ohm Connect. So one of the biggest game mechanics that we use at OwnConnect is what we call status. Now you can think of this kind of like airline miles. You can either be silver or gold or platinum. If you're really, really good, you can get to diamond level. And once you hit those different levels, you start to unlock rewards. Spike works in a similar way. Here's Joe. I like that the lowest level is called gold. It goes gold, platinum, and then diamond. And so we were just like, oh, what's diamond? How do we get there? So early days, the rewards that you would get for the hour, the amount of points that you get um, are much lower because um, these other sort of you might be diamond status until I think we had to do five in a row that were diamond status or well, gold or, or platinum, and you can, then you get that status ever more. So it means that you get not only the base points, but you also get 150% more points. And a point is a cent, basically works out to be. So if you get 200 points for the hour, you'll get $2. But um, after you've done it for a while, it grows. They also have another bonus that's a streak bonus. And on top of that, I'm also now diamond status. So we're getting 150% bonus on that. So we get lots of points for just doing an hour's talking to each other or an hour having dinner together or an hour going for a walk. It really adds up. Unlocking different types of game mechanics for different types of people is really important. There are a lot of game mechanics we tried and it actually failed. So, for example, we tried a fairly complicated mechanic called gacha mechanic. It's very common in Japanese culture. But if you've ever played the Monopoly game that McDonald's does, um, this is the same gacha mechanic. It, ha- it combines two components. One is a spin or kind of a random draw. So, um, for example, you get randomly assigned in the Monopoly mechanic, park place or boardwalk. But then it also combines a collectible. You need to have both park place and boardwalk. So the beauty of this mechanic is that you always feel like you're gaining. You're always building up your collections. And then you can then cash in a big reward. This is a, a very common mechanic in more complicated games. What we found is because our whole process is actually already very complicated, our users did not want to have also a complicated reward structure. So they really wanted, hey, I want to just spend a win and we'll we'll get a prize if we actually win, or I want to have a collectible. So separating those out have been, has been really powerful. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Remember Zach Fitzwalter, the zombie fleeing gamification designer? 
what it does is it, it, it creates a more engaging experience for people to help motivate them to change their behavior. So, you know, it's doing a couple of things. And you mentioned a, a couple of key things there which can help promote uh, behavior change. So Ohm Connect and, and Spike, uh, the Origin Energies Spike program is that First of all, it, it provides us with feedback. So, you know, these companies have information about our energy use. And so providing this feedback in the, in the form of a challenge or a goal for people can be a, a motivating uh, aspect, I guess. So it gives us kind of this sense of feedback or, or a challenge that we can tackle. So simply by providing that feedback of, of giving us an hour when we need to, to turn off our appliances or to save some energy, gives us this kind of goal or this challenge. And then to really reinforce that behavior by providing some kind of reward, it can motivate us to, to change our behavior, especially when there's no motivation to begin with. Having some kind of reward or incentive is a great way to encourage people to, to change their behavior. Like Joe said earlier on, it's win-win. When customers reduce energy, energy grids stay online. And in recent years, places like California and Texas have endured long-lasting blackouts from heatwaves, wildfires and even ice storms. And in recent years here in Australia, we've also had our fair share during the summer months. Yeah, in August 2020 in California, when we had those blackouts, it was a variety of factors. The number one factor was it's hot. It was super hot. And it was really putting a lot of strain on the grid. We had a lot of ACs going, and we've had a really ramp up in air conditioning installed in California over the past few years. So it was just kind of maxing out the entire grid. But there were some other components with the grid itself. So, for example, we were still exporting some power, and that energy could have been used within the state of California. The other component was we had a few gas power plants offline. And then, of course, we also saw some kind of reduction in solar performance and some of the renewable performance as well. All of those factors combined to um, what was unfortunately just a few hours of blackouts with hundreds of thousands of folks um, being out of power. Now, nothing as catastrophic as what we saw in Texas, but certainly a, a big wake-up call for the grid. By the summer of 2020, Home Connect deployed a strategy that enabled them to change the load capacity and reduce the pressure on the grid. Yeah, we had some of our biggest events last August during these blackouts, and we saved a gigawatt hour of energy during that time, which is the same amount to basically power San Francisco for an entire hour. And so we saw massive reductions from our user base, and it was hard for them. We were seeing in social media, hey, it's super hot, but what I am doing is I'm saving energy and getting paid. So what we did was we had correctly aligned incentives from the beginning. So if they turned off their electricity, they knew they would be compensated for it. So people were willing to take on that additional burden because we had incentivized them properly. So there are some posts on social media saying, hey, I'm sitting in front of a fan. I've got my laptop on. Um, there's a lot of references to swamp coolers, which is just basically a cooler with water in it to help cool you down during those really hot events. And people were prepping for it because we were compensating them for it and incentivizing them in the right way. And so when they, we had the first few events, we had compensated them. And later on that week, we had three or four hour events and people were like, bring it on. Give me another three hour event. Give me another four hour event because they wanted to be incentivized and get paid for it. 
OwnConnect do not generate electricity, and they are not an energy retailer. They manage demand across the grid. It's different to what Origin does here in Australia. But as I said earlier, Origin saw how gamification worked for OwnConnect, and it felt like a shared vision of a future energy landscape. That's where Spike came from. This is Brendan Manzi from Origin's Future Energy team. What we're sort of seeing, you know, as a thematic and a real, you know, a shifting trend is that as we move to this more connected energy future, we've got more and more customers that are engaging in solar, more and more customers that are looking at perhaps, you know, um, adding a battery to store their solar, more customers now looking at EVs, electric vehicles, and thinking about, well, how might I charge that up? you've naturally got a real groundswell of, you know, much higher engagement, you know. Uh, You've got a lot more folks thinking very hard about their energy, not just from a cost point of view, like how's this bill sort of looking this month, but looking at, well, how's this energy being produced? How much carbon am am I sort of emitting by being part of this? In practical terms, Jo's experience epitomizes this trend, even if she doesn't drive an EV or have solar. In her own way, she's engaging with the energy future, but it's a future that's happening today. It's made it more obvious to me, you know, how much energy is used by standby um, products, how much uh, energy some of our big appliances use. Like for one of the spike hours, you know, we turned off the fridge for an hour, which was fine. Certainly the drinks fridge we turn off. Um, But it was amazing how much our energy usage was reduced just in that one hour by those small appliances. Uh, well, maybe they're large, but it was it was amazing how much they were reduced by. So we sort of see that emergence of, of a real awakening of interest in a number of different customer groups. And that's where we thought, well, you know, something like gamification really can play a role because we're no longer just talking about issuing the bill every quarter and servicing the customer in a really good way there. It's really about bringing them on that path and that journey and kind of opening the door to what's possible in that sort of um, that more contemporary, uh, connected and renewable energy system. Brennan will join us later in the series. I just wanted to give you his take on the origin story of Spike. (laughs) Get it? Origin story because of the whole um, origin thing? Ah, Tough crowd. Oh, well, there's a first for everything. Anywho, now, remember our mate Zombie Zack? He has some great insight into why human beings respond to gamification so enthusiastically. Yeah, so uh, researchers in the past have have hypothesized or theorized that games are motivating to the extent that they support three things. So three basic psychological needs, which is autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And this falls under the theory known as self-determination theory. And it's essentially saying that for, for humans to flourish, then these three things need to be supported. I think it's brilliant. I don't know if it's my demographic or my personality type, but I love gamification of anything. So I think you just get that feel-good feeling, a bit of an endorphin rush when you achieve something and meet a goal or exceed a goal. So gamification, I think, is quite good. Then there's also the theory of flow, which is another really interesting uh, theory that's been developed in research. When we have a challenge that matches our skill level, then we can get into this this flow zone, I guess, where, you know, everything else kind of, we ignore everything else and we're so focused on the task at hand and, it, you know, it feels good to achieve it. Researchers have looked at the theory of flow and how it's been seen in uh, sport, in dancing, 
things like rock climbing. You might have that feeling when you read a book and you know it feels like time flies past. And it's the same for video games as well. You can sit down, think that you've played for five minutes, but in actual fact, an hour or two hours has gone past. An hour goes very quickly. And um, there's so many different things we do. In the summer months, we would you know, stop and have a barbecue and, you know, or we go for a walk or we play games on our phones or we have a nap or or we just sit and talk. Like it's been quite, yeah, it's been good because we know that that hour's coming up. Zach's explanation of gamification supports Jo's customer experience. She has autonomy, that sense of free will over the choices she makes, competence. Jo's challenged with tasks neither simple nor impossible, and relatedness. She's supported by members of her household and relates her experience to friends. And then, of course, in that flow zone, time flies. An hour goes by pretty quickly. Thanks, Zach. Any final words of wisdom? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, gamification works really well when... Oh, that's got to hurt. Come here, zombie. Poor old Zach, Zombie Zero, Andy One. Right, back to it. Joe seems a pretty good fit for Spike. Obsessed in a good way. Saving money, helping the planet. But tech-wise, is she the average Joe? Okay. In terms of tech, Origin requires customers to have a smart meter. Where possible, they can upgrade meters. But how smart? How decked in tech does a house have to be? Matt from Ohm Connect has seen things change a lot over the years. What's been amazing in my seven-year journey is the number of different devices that is available in a home that controls electricity. When we first started, um, we often give people a free smart plug, for example. Those users, that is often the first smart device in their home is they get a smart plug from OwnConnect. And then within three to six months, we find that those same users will, on average, adopt another one or even two devices. So they're going from zero devices to three devices in six months. And so then all of a sudden, you've got this trajectory of a much smarter and enabled grid from the end user perspective. We got some, just some, I call them like interferers, just a little plug that plugs into the wall and there could be a remote control in the kitchen. I could just turn on light A and B and these lights would turn on and I loved it. Um, I said, let's get more of those lazy things. And when we went to look at them, we were at Bunnings and we found um, these appliances that you could turn them on and off from your phone or if you've got a little Google machine, uh, you could <laughs> uh, ask Google to turn them on and off for you. Light sensors, a smart TV, a smart plug and a voice-activated assistant. Not overly tripped out in tech, pretty much describes many of our homes. There is also a Spike app as another way customers can control their appliances. Not like Magneto, but similar-ish. Um, you can connect that to Spike Hour, as in you can connect it in the Spike Hour app and you can have it that all those appliances that you've connected just automatically turn off when a Spike Hour is upcoming. At the top of this episode, I told you that if my energy supplier told me they'd pay me if I turned my power off, I'd think, what's the catch? The catch is that we're in this together, this transition toward a better future with energy. Okay, Joe, let's shut it down for an hour. 
Google, turn off everything. <laughs> she'll be listening now and she'll answer that question. Turning 15 things off. Hello? Hey, anyone there? Um, guys? Hey, stop mucking around. Turn the lights. Zach! No! Next week on So What? Solar. Australians are in love with solar. It's part of our psyche. So what is it about solar that's made over 3 million homeowners and counting install it? How do we take heat from the sun and convert it into free power? Yes, there was a French scientist, Edmund Becquerel, and he just shone some light on these bits of metal that were immersed in some uh, solutions and managed to get an electrical current out of it. So that was the first sort of thought that light could be turned into electricity. Join us next week for episode four. So What is the show that questions everything you thought you knew about energy and it's brought to you by Origin. Production and scripting by the team at Lawson Media. If you're keen to know more about Origin's Spike program, check out some of the resources I've left in the episode show notes. You can also learn more about the podcast and listen to other episodes at originenergy.com.au forward slash so what. Or just hit subscribe in the podcast app you're in right now. I was Andy Saunders. Until Zombie Zack got his pound of flesh. Hopefully I'll be okay by the next episode. Mm.